Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Chickeny. There's a story there, folks, that you won't hear, but I know, and it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to give a thank you to all of our Patreon supporters out there uh, for allowing us to continue to keep doing what we do. You're going to be hearing this a lot lately from me just because of where we currently are. Uh, the site, the podcasts are all completely driven by Patreon support. Without that, we can't actually afford to produce the shows uh, because it does take a lot of work, uh, more than I think people probably actually understand. Maybe not everybody, but you understand. Uh, so we are below the level that we need to be for regular site operations per month. So if you are listening to this podcast or any of our other podcasts, if you enjoy any of the content we produce, go ahead and consider giving us a little bit of support over at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. We'd like to get back up to our normal operating level and continue to evolve the site. As you may have noticed, we're doing new things. We're putting different posts out there that aren't necessarily 100% Blizzard specific. We have a podcast that isn't Blizzard specific. Uh, we're trying to evolve and grow, and we would like to continue to do that, and we hope that you can continue to support us while we do that. And if you can't, we understand uh, but maybe spread the word and see if there's other people out there that maybe consider it or want to do it uh, or maybe listen to our content that that haven't really they're on the edge of it. Give them, give them that little push. Give, yeah, help us out. Uh, but today we're going to be answering your questions, many of which come from our wonderful, wonderful Patreon supporters. And we do thank you for that. And if you do have questions for this podcast or any of the other podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Or you can go ahead and hit us up on our uh, Patreon podcast and Q questions channel. 
Uh, that's we look there first as a way of saying thank you to our Patreon supporters, trying to give them a little bit of a, a bonus for continuing to support us. Uh, and if you can't, and again, we do understand you don't want to do email. We do have a Q and podcast question section on the discord. So you can go ahead and send them to us there. So we're going to start it out with our first one, which is from our friend Lord Soth. Okay, so Lord Soth here. I'm listening to your lore watch response to my time travel question. It got me thinking of a different scenario. First, let me establish that it is not a this is not a pro Sylvanas thing. She's a fantastic villain, but she is a horrible person. But what if we jump into the future a thousand years and we find Sylvanas still alive? We find a mostly put together world and we learn that the world is the way it is now because of all of her efforts. I'm assuming getting her for full soul back. Not that it redeems her or undoes what she did. Rather, she is so weighed down by guilt that she spends the next 1,000 years fighting to bring peace and prosperity. Given the tension in our present day, wow, I feel like that could be a very interesting solution. We've got uh, we've gotten gone forward and we've seen that's what Sylvanas has become. And now we have the complexity of hating her, but also wanting to do what it takes to bring the future. She is responsible again, not defending her and not even wanting a redemption for her. I just think that narrative tension of present day could be very interesting if that happened. So. Before I let Matt loose on this, uh, Lord Thoth, that is sort of is still in the same wheelhouse of a redemption arc. It's still she winds up doing good and is left to that device. I appreciate the complexity that you're trying to to inject there. Matt, what do you think? You're not going to talk more? I will, but I want to hear what you think first. I don't want to explode into negativity because it's not Lord Soth's fault that he has an idea that I don't like. I mean, people have ideas that other people don't like. It's just human nature. We all have different opinions and different mindsets. But I am fully of the opinion that if Sylvana survives this expansion, she needs to go away for a while, not mm-hmm. become the central figure in the very next expansion about how we go a thousand years in the future and it's Sylvana's land because she did so many good things and fixed the world. No. I need a break. I I need a break from her. Uh, This isn't because Patty Matson's not an amazing actress because she is. It's not because the storylines haven't been well-written because they have by and large been well-written. I simply don't want any more of this. Uh, As a person, I have my own artistic opinion about things. Um, This does not mean that the game has to do what I want. Uh, But if it does, if it did go and give me another expansion of Sylvanas after like two, I, I know I need I need a break. I need them to go somewhere else and do something else. Uh, there was a lot of characters in World of Warcraft. Uh, there's a lot of stories in World of Warcraft. We don't have to tell this one. And I'm at the point where I would I would welcome an expansion all about Odin. And and I want you to remember things I've said in the past about Odin. Matt's a very sour Pokemon. Yeah, I I, I don't like Odin at, at all. And I would first off at the end of this expansion. I, we have a lot of figures that I have no idea if they're going to be in the end. Mm-hmm. Like Mwizala and Helia. Are we going to see them? Loose ends. At, at, you know, are they going to be loose ends or are they going to be in the last raid? Are we going to end up killing them both in the last raid? Like what's going to happen with a lot of stuff that's been set up? A lot of things, even if the jailer is defeated, the status quo of death is going to be very different. And we have no idea what it's going to look like and what our world is going to look like. Is Helia going to be free to do whatever she wants? Is Muzala going to be running around? I mean, Odin has business with both of them. So I would honestly get more excited about an Odin expansion. And I don't like Odin. 
I don't even like him as a villain. If he became the villain, I wouldn't even, it, it's not that I like him. It's just that it would be different. Yeah. I, I need, I need a break from Sylvanas. This is not that she's not a great villain. This is not that she's not greatly acted. This is not that I don't understand that a lot of people really like her. I need a break. If, if we're not going to actually get actual like revenge, you know, if, if there's not going to be revenge in this story, if the night elves are just going to have to turn the other cheek and let this go after she burned down their home and killed thousands of their people, then, then let her get off the screen at the very least. So we can have an expansion that's not about her and, and, and at least let time progress. If you won't let this, there be closure, at least let it, drift let it go away so we can have something else for a while yeah i think that's where i kind of am too and this is not and again not to say that your idea isn't a decent idea it's just one that i i think i'm with matt on this one i love sylvanas as a character i love how terrible she is i love that she is fantastically acted i love that she is a complicated character who has been interwoven to the story of warcraft for you know, over two decades at this point, but it's also been two and a half expansions really where it's like very much been centered upon her, whether you want to admit it or not, she has been front and center more than any other time that she has existed in, in Warcraft, except for maybe the reopening of cataclysm when they redid everything and you got to do a whole bunch of stuff. uh, If you played forsaken and it was very Sylvanas heavy, which made sense then, but it was also only if you were Forsaken or Gilnean, because that was also interwoven in there as well. But right now, I think it's time for it to kind of take a back seat for a little while. And if it's a secondary or tertiary story that's running in the background while everything else is going on, I think that's okay, but it can't be front and present anymore. I don't think that's good. I think that there's just been too much. And this is regardless of whether you love or hate Sylvanas, it's a lot. And I don't think we've ever really fully had an expansion that centered on one character or sorry, one character that traversed multiple expansions as the central point. And I think part of the reason is, is if you go back and look at all the expansions, I think outside of Garrosh, Garrosh was pretty central for a little while, but they each have their own contained story for the most part that still pulls on threads from other expansions and past history. And that's okay. But how much more do we need to have front and center for her? I don't like, let's look at Garrosh since you brought Garrosh up. I think he's the closest one. Garrosh has a minor presence in burning crusade, mostly in like one zone. If you're whore in the ground, then He's pretty central in Wrath, again, mostly if you're Horde, but he's, his presence is felt even if you're Alliance. So he's got a, I'd say he's like a, a, he's a secondary character, but he's a big secondary character in, in Wrath. He's actually more present than Thrall is in Wrath. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean, there are other people who are more present, you know, sure. like for instance, Dalaran and so forth. But he's definitely there. He is absolutely a figure in Wrath. Um, Cataclysm is when he steps up and actually becomes a war chief, and it is fair to say that if he is not the major figure of Cataclysm, he is certainly one of the major figures of Cataclysm. Uh, he is very much a part of why stuff's happening, even if you're playing Alliance. Uh, Garage Hellscream is the reason why the Horde has suddenly moved forward, has suddenly become aggressive. Um, that is that is his doing. So yeah, I'd say he's he's up to close to billing, and he and he's if I don't if I'm not insane, 
like the box of Cataclysm is Deathwing. So yeah. Deathwing is the is the villain of the piece, but you know, Garrosh isn't the villain of it, but he is a major character. Missa Pandaria is pretty close to Garrosh's expansion. Oh yeah. Pretty close. Not you kind of can argue back and forth on that one, but he is the end boss of the expansion. You know, when, when it's pretty fair to say the end boss of anything is pretty important to that expansion. When you have an end boss, like when, like as Deathwing was to Cataclysm, Garrosh is the end boss of Miss of Pandaria. And then he's a big part of why we go to Draenor in the first place. He's the catalyst. Yeah. So his role there is, is very large and he doesn't, he doesn't die in a in a boss fight, but he does die in the cinematic that almost everybody gets to see. So that's like going from little bit in BC, then pretty big in Wrath, then much bigger in Cataclysm, to all important in Mists, to significant in uh, in in Warlords of Draenor. That's that's like five expansions. Mm-hmm. Sylvanas didn't get that treatment, but we have to remember Sylvanas was big in the original game. First off, she was big in Warcraft three. She was huge in she's Warcraft 3. Big big part of Warcraft 3. So she comes in from there. She's the reason the Forsaken are a thing. Yeah, and she's the reason that they ultimately join the Horde. Uh, she's got a pretty strong presence in, in the original vanilla World of Warcraft, as much as any Horde leader does. She's instrumental in the Blood Elves joining the Alliance, the Horde. Sorry, not the Alliance. Uh, she's, in, she's instrumental in the Blood Elves joining the Horde. The, she is part of the reason why that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Wrath of the Lich King, I mean, you know she's big in that one. She's all over it. Because why the heck wouldn't she be? This is the guy she wants to kill. Yeah, she, she's big in that. Then she has the role that you mentioned in Cataclysm, where she's very important to the starting zone for the Worgen and for the revamped Silver Pine for the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. She's got a, a, a big presence there. Uh, the rest of Cataclysm... Not really that much. She does, but but then again, in Mr. Pandaria, she's not around for most of it. But then she shows up at the end, and she's a major part of the whole fight to to dethrone Garrosh. She's one of the big figures fighting against Garrosh. She's literally there in the initial siege, helping us get through the barrier of the dragons, uh, of of yep. the dragons and the dragon clan that are are sitting there trying to keep us from getting to Orgrimmar. So b- big presence there. Um, I think it's it's fair to say she doesn't do much in, in in Warlords. She's not present very much in Warlords, which makes sense. It's another world. She's not there. But from Legion on, she goes from near the top in Legion. She becomes Warchief. I don't think you can become Warchief and not have that be a, a major involvement in the expansion story. And if you play Even, and, and play in Horde, you are interacting with her. She's the one sending you on missions in Legion. Yeah, and like, if, if you're not playing Horde, you still have an entire zone where you're trying to catch mm, her. Yep. You know, there's an alliance are spending an entire zone trying to catch Sylvanas. So she's very big in Legion. And you, what can you say about, you know, Battle for Azeroth? She is practically the poster. She's in the big opening cinematic and and the big fight with, with Sarfang. Her reign as Warchief is the reason all this happens. So right up near the top on that one. And can you say, you know, Shadowlands even more prevalent? So Sylvanas has been a big figure in World of Warcraft for a very long time. I really think at this point we need a cooling down period. We and, need some time to just process all this before we make another expansion be about her. I would absolutely agree. But there, and there's also the other side of that, too, where she can still be a catalyst without being front and center. Anything that happens with her after this expansion, after we're done with Shadowlands, 
can be a point of contention. As you've pointed out here, Lord Soth, the current day tension of, of, of present day WoW, there's a lot of it wrapped up with in, in her, like as centered around her. And that could be a catalyst for, you know, political alliances breaking down or other ones being made, breakdowns of communication, especially when you consider they still have to decide what they're going to do with her. Even with all, not to get too spoilery, but there's been a lot of data mining going on for the next the next uh, patch. And while we have stuff about her, there's nothing that concludes what's going to happen to her. At least not yet. That may change at the time of this recording. I don't know. Or by the time you listen to this. But she could be another reason why the Night Elves don't return back to the Alliance. Because the Alliance doesn't want her to, to, to be killed. They want her to, to be in jail or whatever. Or it could be a catalyst for the Horde banding together even further than they already have because they were fractured, very contentious, even under a war chief. Like the, the subdivisions in the Horde were very palpable, and now that seems to be going away. And if she's still there and still sort of like the focal point of their ire, that may draw them further together. We can't be her anymore. We can't let that happen. We need to be better than that. And that could be a catalyst for the council and the horde to grow and evolve uh, and also could be a catalyst maybe potentially for there to be less of a breakdown between the horde and the alliance like we've talked about before, where they're more willing to work together and to try to be on the same page because they cannot have what happened before happen again. They can't have that back and forth retaliation. They can't have such large swaths of destruction between the factions anymore. Teldrassil burning was a major event, and it was something that is is absolutely terrible. And I guarantee you, if you were to go to the shaman and the druid of the horde, who you know didn't want to participate in that, I guarantee you they felt it. I'm sure there's other other classes that did as well, but I'm just saying like that's a major destruction of a piece of Azeroth that is tied to the very nature of it. I'm confident druids everywhere felt it. That's so much spirit and in elemental like unleashing that I guarantee you shaman felt it. And they probably feel very strongly about that not happening again. And then you have the complete destruction of Lordaeron for a second time. That's a huge event. And these are things that she caused. They, I don't think anybody wants that to happen again. Do you want Stormwind to collapse? Do you want Orgrimmar to implode? I don't think so. I don't think they want that anymore. There's been too much loss of life, too much loss of land, and she could still be a catalyst for that without having to be front and center, right? Her actions can have repercussions that echo for years, and they should. These are big things that happened, and she doesn't have to be in our face while doing it. And I think that's the the most important thing to remember. And again, it's not that your idea is bad, but I'm with Matt. I think we need to take time off of her being front and center because I can guarantee you if it's another expansion centered around her, I'm instantaneously going to lose interest. Uh, if I would be fully okay with us going a thousand years in the future, finding out it's a utopia and then maybe coming back in the next expansion and finding out that it's because of Sylvanas, maybe, but having it just be so Sylvanas centric right off the bat. No, I, I, and quite honestly, I don't really want to go a thousand years in the future. Um, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt if that's something they wanted to do. But every time they do something like that, like every time, we, let, let's go to like an, an, an alternate world. Let's let's go to a weird place. It's like hit or miss. Like it worked okay for Burning Crusade. Burning Crusade's still pretty solid in my opinion. I had a lot of fun at it. Uh, it worked okay for Pandaria. Mm-hmm. 
when we went to Pandaria, that was I actually thought Pandaria was a really well executed expansion, but uh, I still feel like Warlords of Draenor starts really strong and then just sort of like stops, and we get a patch of literally here's a camera, and then another really big story patch, and then like a year of nothing, and it just felt like this expansion didn't. It felt like they dropped an act. You know what I mean? Like so. I'm hit or miss on the whole let's do something really weird. Uh, Shadowlands is another let's do something really weird expansion. And I'm, I'll am i be completely upfront. I'm kind of on the fence about it right now. Like, there's what start of it I've, I thought is really good. A lot of it I really like. But I think this time it was mechanics that kind of sank it for me. Like, I just really wasn't feeling stuff like the Great Vault, stuff like the Covenants. And they've, they've done changes and, and beefed a lot of stuff up since. So we'll see how it ends. Like I, I really feel like I need to see how Shadowlands ends before I can commit to doing something really weird with the next expansion. I kind of wish they, I want them to to do something like they did with yeah, at, after Warlords they did Legion, and in a way Legion was like comfort food because it's it's this you know what this is, mm-hmm. and still it had lots of story stuff and it was really interesting and it had deviations, but. I want to feel like a little familiar. I, w- I want to get my feet back under me and feel like I know what's going on before the next great trip to some other time period or other world or what have you. I'd like a little time with Azeroth. I would tend to agree. I think I, we're all on the same page. Hopefully that answers your question and gives you a little insight into where we're at, Lord Soth. Uh, but please keep those questions coming. Next up, we have one coming from our good friend Titan Fuzz. Question for Lorewatch. Listening to this week's episode got me thinking as my tinfoil hat fell on. You were talking about how the the workshop of the first ones is in this pocket of the Shadowlands and why they would have started creation there. What if it only became the Shadowlands after they created the rest of the universe? The line of thought is all energy stuff in the universe started in what we call the Shadowlands. Think pre-Big Bang. The first ones popped into existence and ordered the rest of creation around this place because that's all there was. All the energy came from it, and that's why it returns to it in death in the form of the Shadowland. Tinfoil thoughts? Thanks for all you do. I started Tavern Watch and loved it. I'm glad that you are enjoying Tavern Watch. Thank you very much, Titan Fuzz. Um, so we, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think you're not far off. I think what we're seeing is essentially the birthplace of creation when we wind up going. And again, this is just my opinion. I don't have anything really to base this off of aside from what we've been told so far. But one of the things that keeps sticking out to me is the fact that we're going to a place that's an engine that sits on top of essentially a barrier layer of land or or in this case, water that separates what's been created, what we're interacting with from a primordial soup. Almost like what we're going through is the closest or original point of organization that pulled directly from chaos. And what it feels to me is that the stuff that we're actually walking on top of, that we're separated from, that stuff that's just below the surface is sort of the primordial essence of the cosmos in that it is pulled up through the engine, crafted into whatever it needs to be crafted into, and then either another creation or eternity is created or spun up and sent out into the Shadowlands or is actually the power source that continue or allowed the first ones to sort of order and create the universe. And again, this is pure speculation. Part of this is based off of something that I'm going to be just a little spoilery about. So uh, come back in a couple of minutes if you care about spoilers. One of the things they recently data mined is that in the raid that's coming, we fight new, newly born creations 
of the Pantheon of Death. And these are created from this engine, created by whatever the uh, the automa at the behest of the the jailer or whoever it is that's controlling this at the behest of the jailer who has control of it now uh and he literally one of the first things he does is he doesn't reorder reality he creates another pantheon of death he literally creates every single one of his siblings again in a new form and then we know that those siblings the original pantheon of death are tied intrinsically to the lands that they are stewards of, and that they are, in essence, in case of Denathrius, he is Revendreth. That is his line, and it is a literal line. We see that with Ardenweld, we see that with Bastion, we see that with Maldraxxus. There's this intrinsic tie between those lands and the people that steward them. And if they were created with the engine and created from the primordial goop, then their lands probably were as well. And there probably is some sort of tie there that allows that to sort of be born. So maybe it isn't a pocket of the Shadowlands. And I think that's when we talked about it, talking about being another dimension, that might not be the case. This might literally be the center point of reality and everything else is built around it. But instead of being its own pocket dimension, this is the most real that reality can be, if that makes sense. Uh, probably doesn't. And I apologize. But it's it's like this is pure unadulterated conversion of chaos to order in the area that we are. And I think there's something there to it. What do you think, Matt? It's not how do I put this? The Shadowlands is the place of death because it's where the first ones died. Mm-hmm. And the first ones had to die for the universe to exist. It's very much along the lines of the origins of the Diablo cosmos, where you have the golden warrior Anu, who where everything that existed was around him, he ripped himself in half to purify himself, and in the process created Tathamet, and the conflict between Tathamet and, and Anu destroyed them both, but created heaven and hell, and the remainder of him was used to create worlds. The World Stone. I think the uh, First Ones died here as part of their plan. It was always their plan. They separated pieces of themselves off and created the Shadowlands. The Shadowlands are literally their corpses. Um, in terms of the the stuff Joe was talking about, the the spoilery stuff, we don't really know enough about what's going on yet, but we know that they're being created from the Progenitor Forge. It's entirely possible that the original ones were created on the Progenitor Forge. That That's why they don't remember anything before coming to their various Shadowlands. Maybe each was the creation of one of the first ones to effectively replace it. Maybe, since we know that the Arbiter was created out of Zoval's soul, perhaps each of the original uh, Lords of the Shadowlands, the original Eternal Ones, was made from a piece of the first one's soul. But I think that's why the Shadowlands are the Shadowlands in the first place. I think they are directly linked to the site of the first one's deaths. Um, And I think that that is entirely possible that the first ones were born in the life realm for that same reason they 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 came from life they went to death they created the order for our cosmos things live and then they die if the first ones could live and then die everything else can live and then die that's what things do um but since we know this resurrection is possible in this cosmos perhaps they were resurrected perhaps that's the whole point that's you know what that looks like ultimately the whole point of the shadowlands is to send things back mm-hmm you know, to, to take the anima, but send the, the, the spirits back. That's what happens, at least in one Shadowland. But they, they don't want, you know, you'll notice they don't want everything to go back. Death should be permanent for some things, some inimical things, but not others. 
So there's a, there's a lot to consider here. Uh, I don't think you're, I'm not saying you're wrong. I think you haven't, you're on the track to an idea. And I think we'll find out more as we do this. Um, but I definitely think that Zoval has decided that the way the first ones went about it was wrong, that they've, they, there are inherent flaws and think about Sargeras and his, his decision about the Pantheon of order, how they had done it. It was wrong. The order can't be maintained. The world can't be kept a lot, kept going like this because there are always going to be things that will come in and corrupt it. It's not very different. So I think there's going to be something in this raid that will explain in more detail exactly what happened, but I don't think we're going to get an, a, like a, a perfect answer. I don't think we're going to go, oh, that's what happened. I think we're going to get some clues, and we'll have to puzzle it for ourselves and see what happens in future expansions. Um, and we but do, I definitely think you're you're on to, you're on to something. And, and I like, think there's, there's also a tie there to Azroth as well, and I think we're going to find out finally a little bit or get some more clues as to why Azroth is so because something is there's a reason for there's a reason why. Like Zoval is, it has or wants that Titan soul, right? Like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here that that I think Matt's right. We're gonna get bits and pieces of, and I don't think we're gonna end this expansion with a complete solid answer. I really don't, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but we're gonna probably be very confused when when the lights go dim in, in the Shadowlands. Anything else to add to that one, Matt? No, I think we're good. I also know that. There's some possibilities of us seeing a new Arbiter in patch 9.2. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some data mining. We don't know that it's going to come out that way. Data mining is funny that way. But do keep in mind, something might happen. And we do know that, and this is also, keep a, I guess, a PSA. It is not the. It would not potentially be the first time that things have been placed for data miners to find that are red herrings. They do that. They've been doing that, especially recently, to kind of throw everybody off and not, and, and to try to keep some secrets. We've seen that. Already. And in, in other things, sometimes it's not that they put it in for a red herring. Sometimes they put it in and, and then, then decide not to use they, it. Yeah, they test it out and to say, no, no, it doesn't work. One really big example goes back to Cataclysm. Mm-hmm. Lorthamar was supposed to be betrayed by Ramath. It was going to be Ramath who was working for the for the uh, cult of the. You know the old ones. He was supposed to be the betrayed. The, he's going to be the Twilight Hammer betrayer. And then they decided last minute, nah, we're not going to do that. That's why the guy who actually does betray Pete the Horde is kind of like who? Like I, who is this guy again? Like, the Alliance guy is pretty big. I don't know who this guy is because the Horde guy was going to be Ramath, who is a a big character. But then they decided not to do it, and so that happens sometimes. So whenever you look at anything you know, data mind, keep in mind until it actually goes live. This might not happen. Yep. All right. We're going to move on to a question from our good friend, Autoluke, who is a mage, at least if I'm to believe D and D question for lore watch. What exactly is the riff? Uh, and there was a link to a Reddit thread in which Autoluke gave their kind of answer to it. Um, I actually don't know, Matt, do you have any idea or any speculation of what the rift actually is? No, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. I, yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like they talk about it, but like, like we don't know. There's the yet. Rift of Alm, but that's not what they're talking about. Yeah. So basically, there's this thing where I guess the Rift is supposed to be this extra layer of the Shadowlands, but we don't know. We don't know if it's a uh, pocket dimension or what. this is supposedly where like the sepulchre is like, I think, nest, right. Um, so somebody in the thread was asking if the Maw is equivalent to hell. Um, if the rift is a secret shadow shadowier version of it, or is it an alternate dimension? We're getting into a weird pl- point of Shadowlands where 
we still don't know what the Shadowlands actually flee is. And anything we we think we know, it keeps getting thrown out and it keeps getting shifted or or morphed into something else or a different understanding. So like when we got to the Shadowlands, we thought that, oh, these are these are the afterlives. These are the only afterlife. And then we get to Oribos and we see thousands of doors out there. And then we realize that there's no it's not a finite number. And then we get confirmation of that when we start talking about the the new engine and and everything else that's happening, because now we know confirmation that there's an infinite number of afterlives. They can just be created and spun out. And in fact, that's what these automated creations have been doing for we don't know how long. So while the Pantheon of Death is there and they are definitely the four that we deal with. There's an infinite number potentially of beings like that and lands like that, which then brings us back to the fact that what Buam Samdi showed Zappy Boy about Sarfang might not be wrong. It might not actually be a lie like we've been assuming this entire time. It might be accurate because now we know that Buam Samdi can move between different realms in the Shadowlands uh, like the Brokers can, but like the Pantheon can't, which is very, very odd because he's just a powerful Loa. He's not a pantheon. He's not tied to the specific land. So there's a lot of weird, like interdimensional bubble stuff going on here that none of it's been made clear. Like I had a couple people this, this past week talk to me about, you know, between the grimoire and uh, Chronicles and now the stuff that we're seeing with 9.2, if it makes any sense, the truth is it doesn't because it's always going to be told from a certain perspective. And I think that's the point right? Mortals are always going to try to frame it in a way that they understand, right? You always try to make heads or tails of something in reference to what you actually know. You try to liken it to something so that you're grounded. But a being like a broker is going to look at it differently because they have a different complete universe view than we do. A being like a panth from the Pantheon of Death would have a completely different view on it as well. A Titan would have a different view on it. A loon would have a different view on it because it's all a matter of perspective. Is the Rift uh, a darker, shadowier version of, of the Maw? Maybe. Is the Rift another dimension? Maybe. Is the Rift this pocket where you know a very specific subset of things exists? Maybe. And the Rift is also talked about being a dark corner of existence inhabited by shades. What does that even mean? We've seen shades. We know that shades exist. We've seen them all over the place. There are literally items in game that have shades follow you around. Uh, we know that originally the Shadowlands was supposed to be like this. Uh, if we want to go back to Wrath, where if you remember your uh, Death Knight sort of intro, you go to the Shadowlands. A lot of the stuff you do is in the Shadowlands. It's a carved out section of it that's just overlaid of our own reality. We don't see that when we go into the Shadowlands proper. Does that mean that they're that? what we experienced before isn't the Shadowlands or is it just one part of the Shadowlands? Um, there's an item buff that's set in, I believe it's in Korthi that you can get uh, that says that um, you are in the rift, a shadowy realm of existence alongside your own. Okay. Is that like the Emerald dream then? Is it another layer of, of sort of backup? Is it another layer of reality or is it the Emerald dream for the Shadowlands? We have no idea. <laughs> like, and it's also because we don't know what the Maw originally was. The Maw might not, might not have been what it is now. It looks like a land devastated by war. Maybe it wasn't originally. Don't forget that that's the default state where all souls go. 
why? If it was meant to be a hell, if it was meant to be a torturous space, why is that where everybody goes by default? I mean, they might have been banished. I mean, the very fact that it is still the seat of power of the jailer and, you know, Torghast is still his, like, you know, center of, of control might very well be because, you know, as the original Arbiter, that's where he worked from. Mm-hmm. They may have created the city after that. Um, one thing that comes to mind to me also while thinking about all of this is that keep in mind that there is a giant tear in the veil that's supposed to shield our world from the Shadowlands. It's a rift in that veil. It's quite possible the rift we go into is taking us into the torn up veil Mm. because the veil is supposed to exist. It's supposed to be a place that shields the Shadowlands from Azeroth and vice versa. We, it's very possible that the quote unquote Shadowlands that you see in the Death Knight starting zone was in fact in the veil. You might've actually been going there because you couldn't go any further. You had to actually be fully dead and not be in a body and not be traveling. You know, you, you had to be a corpse and your spirit would go there and then not come back. So there's a lot of possibilities. And as Joe's pointed out, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. Yeah. I think that we'll wind up finding out a little bit more as things progress, because that's going to be sort of, that's sort of like one of the hooks of the new, the new patch and the new zones is learning the, the language essentially of the first ones uh, in starting to uncover things. And this is one of those rare, I shouldn't say rare instances. This is one of those instances where I will implore people to actually spend time looking for things in the zones, because I think here is going to be an opportunity that once we learn the language, there's probably going to be tons of stuff that are hidden that explain some of this that you might be able to find like books or tablets or things like that that are left behind either by the Otama or by the first ones themselves or by creations of them that sort of catalog some of this stuff and what it is. The answer to the rift may be present uh, in what we're about to experience. And it might take us some time to find it. You might find a junk item. And this is one of the, this is something I really enjoy about the game is there might be a junk item you can read and you open it up and it's nothing but symbols because you haven't learned the language. Yet. And then you come back to it a couple weeks later and now you can make out some of what it says or maybe the entire thing. And it starts putting new spin on what we thought was happening. Uh, so we don't know what the rift is, but it's stay tuned and you might find out. All right. Our next one is a series of questions from Keylan from Dathramar. Um, so we're going to go through these and see how much we can get through. And anything we don't get through, we'll move over to uh, the next next episode because we do have a lot of questions uh, this week, which, again, thank you very much, all of you folks. Uh, there is a large amount of Nerubian architecture in Meldraxis. I know you said that the Shadowlands exist outside of time and could be getting its influence anywhere, but do you think the zone is possibly a Nerubian corpse specifically? I think it's interesting on Azeroth they're immune to the Plague of Undeath before they're killed. There is probably something between it, especially since we know the Void touched Actually, the Shadowlands. Actually, hold on. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah, I was just going to say. Um, Go for we it. We know the... the, the Maldiana, Mal- Maldraxxus is intended as the defense system. It's mm-hmm. where the warriors who fight to defend the Shadowlands exist. We know that the Void has invaded on numbers, numerous occasions, and we know that before the, the Scourge came along and killed them, the uh, the Karaji, who were the ancestors of the Nerubians, were literally born out of old gods. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Naraki and the Karaji are like pustules burst open on the body of an old god, and one of them comes out. So they're literal pieces of void. So it's quite possible that Nerubian stuff is patterned after 
their you know existential memory of the time that they were servants of the void and that those are actually craft crashed void ships it might actually be the forces of the void were invading maldraxis and that stuff that's there is remnants from them also for that matter the rubians do die they do so when they die, they could go to Maldraxxus, and when they're there, they might feel more comfortable if they build stru- structures that look like their stuff. So there's there's a couple of different ways that that could happen, even if you don't want to go with the whole idea that uh, the Shadowlands are timeless, so they could be inspired by everything throughout history. I mean, the Rubians died. Other people die, too. I mean, there's stuff in, in Maldraxxus that feels like all, like a hodgepodge of all sorts of stuff. Um, they, they even like to build new things out of the corpses of people who die in Meldraxxus, which they means they were already dead. That's just really weird to think about <laughs> that. They're, they're building necromantic golems out of already dead people. Like that, that's not a, they, they're not physically there. They died and their spirit came to the Shadowlands, but then their spirit, I guess, gets a new body and then they kill that and make a golem out of it. That's just, that's weird, man. That's, that's weird. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it could be any number of those. Yeah, and I think there's some truth to it, too. And I think the other thing to remember is that the Void sees everything as a possibility. And we also don't know how much visibility creatures of the Void or possibly old gods have into the Shadowlands. We know that they've attacked there, as we've pointed out, multiple times. We know that they've breached it. Well, how did they know it was there? How did they see it? How did they get there in the first place? If they can see there, maybe they started modeling some of their creations after that. Hey, you know, we kept fighting these things in this giant corpse zone. Uh, they were pretty good, and spiders can climb stuff. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's make things that look like that. That seems good. Uh, they make great fortresses. Cool. They can be builders for us. And you look at some of the old god structures. They are very, even if they're not Nerubian, quote-unquote, they're Nerubian. They're citadels and obelisks and... and a very uh, cohesive motif. And then you look at Maldraxxus and you see some of that. Maybe they got the inspiration from that, from there. That's where we know some others got inspiration for their creations, looking at you, Odin. Um, so there is a possibility of that as well. It, it could be going, or it could have been, like Matt pointed out, Nerubians could have died. And with the old gods in a form of stasis, we don't know what happens to them. We do know that they were living creatures. They had souls and personalities. But what if they died and they went to the Shadowlands and they're like, hey, you're a really good warrior. Do you want to like want to go over here and have free will and like fight and like not serve as a part of a larger organism anymore, but kind of like be part of something bigger, but have independent thought. And that might be enticing to some of them. We know that there is disagreements among them. We know that they've fought with each other in the past. So. Maybe that was enticing to them, and maybe they started building citadels, and maybe they started directing uh, some of them. We know that there are spider-like creatures in Maldraxxus. There are spider-like warriors. One of the ones you deal with in the uh, the dungeon, that where you go after the, the the plague vault, where the Margrave is of plagues is basically being reborn. You fight somebody who is a essentially a, a spider or a drider that is trying to break in. You see them all over the place. There are some that work for Lady Vosh. They are her eyes and ears. We know that there was an entire house dedicated to the motif of spiders before it blew up, the House of Eyes. That's where Draka served. 
That's where Draka's mentor was, the Margrave of Ice. So it could be full circle. It could be circular in, in, in who inspired what or, or, you know, where they got the, the sort of inspiration for it. But I think there is definitely a tie between the two because it just seems a little too obvious. Uh, the next question that you have here is, uh, if we've gotten into this before, can you elaborate on what happened to Varian's soul? With the parallels of Arthas and Anduin so far and him leaving his father's picture behind, I feel like we're possibly headed for a scene similar to Arthas's death cinematic with his father comforting him. Unless Varian's soul is just gone, in which case, good luck, Anduin. Varian was blown up by Fel, and this gets tricky. We've been told that Fel destroy is basically if light and void collide and are destroyed. We know and we've seen soul engines, which we've, were used to generate Fel from souls. But we've also in that same expansion. So Varian dies. Varian explodes. His soul theoretically torn asunder. At least that's what we're led to believe. But then we have our good buddy, a wonderful troll friend who. He was poisoned by Fel, yet his soul didn't explode. In fact, his soul was left intact, and we brought him back, kinda. We helped him. And recently, and this is mild spoilers if you haven't done this so far, you help him become a Loa. Vol'jin, in theory, should have suffered the same fate as Varian, but he didn't. So now I don't know that you can make that connection. Okay, go ahead. Because, as you pointed out, Vol'jin was poisoned. He was dying slowly. We don't know if it's the same thing as having so much fell flooded into your body that it blows up. There's a pretty big difference in how the two of them. Sure. That doesn't mean Varian's gone. This is one of the things That's where it's very to, hard. Yeah. It's very hard to make a statement as to what happened to Varian. Um, we have not seen him, but there's there's a uh, the jailer has kind of a collection of soul fragments. I have screenshots of all of them that I've posted yeah. multiple times. And one of them feels like it's referring to Varian. Like, go ahead. if you, Since you've got the screenshots, you probably remember the name better than I do. I'm going to pull it up. Keep talking. Okay. Basically, one of them is, seems like very, very much to be possibly about Varian. And that might mean that the Jailer grabbed it. Because we know the Jailer and his his minions were doing stuff during Legion. Helia was active. That was, you know, ultimately on his behest. Uh, Sylvanas was working for him. The whole time, like that's why she got into position to become war chief. Uh, Muzala was there whispering to Vol'jin on his death, which is another reason why Vol'jin might not have died because they were literally right there. Muzala might have just yanked him out of his body to make sure nobody could ask him any questions or to like talk to his spirit because trolls are notorious for talking to people's spirits after they die. They they, they Sar- love to do that. Sar shaman. <laughs> yeah, and they he might have decided I'm not risking it. Yoink. So let's yeah. let's go through some of the names of the private collection here since we're talking about it. We have the Holy Lifebringer, the Champion of Peace, the Archmage's Mentor, the Golden King, the Blood Queen, the Grand Magister, the Guardian of Naxxramas, the Betrayed Father, and those are the ones that have names. There's a couple that could be variant. Yep. So, uh, the, the golden King strands out is a real possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the betrayed father, not so much. Uh, there's a couple of options there. If Mograine wasn't alive, I'd say Mograine. I mean, not alive, but you know what I mean? If Mograine wasn't like, you know, one of the, the Meldraxis, but we also don't know what happened to Arthas's father after Frostmourne was shattered. That's a good point. 
it's entirely possible that, or for that matter, since since Arthas killed his father with the sword, Was it the may have only split. pulled. Yeah, it may have split the soul. So there's a piece in the collection. That's that's an entire possibility. Um, yeah, I, 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 my money's on the Golden King, but regardless, that's that might be where Andu, where Varian ended up, and so we might actually see Varian at the in the Anduin fight because Varian would literally be right there. It might even be Varian's soul fragment in the sword. Yeah, because we still don't know what what soul shard got pulled and put into the sword. The sword that was basically the recreation of Anduin's, which, if you remember correctly, was Varian's sword, a very mm-hmm. powerful artifact, which slotting Varian's soul into it would potentially make sense. Yeah, I mean, it might also be Arthas. I mean, we don't know. It could, true. Some people think that Arthas has to appear in this expansion. Others people feel like it would it's just fine if we hear about Arthas and hear references to Arthas, but never actually see him. I am not making a decision on that one yet. But it could be Varian. It absolutely mm-hmm. could. There's a lot of options here. It's one of those things where I would be very surprised if we don't see something or hear something of Varian before this expansion closes out. Now, this could also be something that we could get after 9.2. Now, we know that 9.2 is the last, like, raid tier expansion that we're going to get, or raid tier content that we're going to get. They've they've said that much. But we've also talked about how in the past, when we've been at this particular point, a point five afterwards tends to either fill in story, tie up some loose ends, and start pushing towards the next expansion. And as we pointed out earlier in this particular podcast, there's a lot of loose ends that need to be accounted for. Helia is still running around. We still haven't dealt with Denothrius. Um, we don't know what that's going to happen with it. We don't know what's going to happen with the Arbiter. We don't know what's going to happen with setting up the the Shadowlands because we're theoretically defeating the Jailer doesn't fix the problem. We still have to go and fix it. But then we start looking at all those souls that we didn't get to see while we're here. Like, we... How many people in the Horde want to still have a moment with Sarfang? How many people still want to have a moment with, with you know, uh, our good buddy Varian? We still have to figure out, like, how Vol'jin's progress is going. Because at the end of it, he was basically put to sleep in an egg. Has he, has he hatched? Has he been sent home yet? We don't know. There's a lot of stuff that could be tied up in that moment. And Anduin might not be ready to go home. Let's say we free him at the end of that encounter. He might not be ready to go home. He is probably the first candidate to have nothing but guilt over what he was forced to do. Despite the fact that he would intellectually know that he didn't have control. You see it. You see it in the moment when he like has that moment of clarity, when he stabs Kyrestria uh, or before he does, it's horror. It's shock. He knows what he's doing. And the jailer knows that he's letting him see the things he's doing. That's intentional. He wants him broken, but he still has to like, does he want to go home? Does he want to go visit the castle of Stormwind and wander those halls without his father there? The Alliance is in shambles. Taronda wants nothing to do with the rest of the Alliance. The horror of losing everything that they just lost, plus him doing all that terrible stuff and almost unmaking reality, that's going to weigh on him. He might not be ready to go home yet. He might take a tour of some of these Shadowlands areas and be like, yo, help me get rid of some of this guilt. Or maybe he goes and seeks out his father. Maybe his father... His soul did get splintered, or maybe there's a piece of it. Maybe he got his own afterlife. Maybe he's with with Tiffin Rin. Maybe Anduin goes and has a tender moment with his mother and father. There's a ton of things that they could do here, and I would be okay with a lot of it. 
because I think Anduin needs that moment of closure so that, and I hate to say this, so that he can grow up. Because to me, that is, in effect, the one thing that hasn't happened to him yet. He's been forced to lead. He's been forced to be a king. He's been forced to be a vehicle of destruction. He's done all these things. He's been forced to lead the alliance. But even then, it's not the same as as growing up. Jaina had her moment last expansion where I will say that I think she she became more complete than she had ever been. She had her moments of closure. She had her moments of, of dealing and coping and like understanding what she had done in the past and what she was doing now and the importance therein and what she needed to do to move forward to heal. Anduin never has never had that. It's been one tragedy after another. Well, it was being a boy King under the, the thumb of a black dragon in disguise having his father split in two, having his father come back, having to heal his father, going through the War of the Three Hammers, go uh, part two, going through everything that he did, being thrust in the role when his father died, not being able to say goodbye to his father, having his valet die, and having his valet tell him, not, not to heal me, do not heal me, do not do this, let me have my moment. And even if you if you read those moments... Anduin was hurting because it was one of the last pieces he had of his life. Gen is not exactly a big cuddly person. Tyrion's not a big cuddly person. Tyrion's wife is certainly not a big cuddly person. He's cu- sort of on his own. Does you mean he want Tyrion? Wanna... No, Tyrion. Tyrion Fordring? Or not Tyrion Fordring. Um, Tyrion. How, or, or do you mean Gen? Not Gen. Why? Why can't I think of his name now? And you sure it's not Tyrion? Tyrion. There we go. You said Tyrion. Oh, okay. Sorry. Tyrion. Sorry. Tyrion. Tyrion and his wife are not exactly cuddly people. What does he go back to? Does he stay here and figure things out? Does he try to figure that out? Does he get his moment of closure? Does he get his moment of growth? That's kind of what I want to see. Because I want to see Anduin have those moments. Because the boy's tired. He's earned it. He's been through a lot. I feel really bad for him. I really do. So, And it, this sort of ties in with the, the other question that you have here. And I think I'm going to... Uh, I'll go into this real quick. Uh, because in Shadows Rising, we see Anduin condoning torture in some... Uh, pretty obvious hints of void creeping into his character. This makes me think that they might not be done with him so soon with so many loose threads. Do you think any of this might be applied in the next portion of Shadowlands, or is this, uh, this a culmination of choices he's already made, leading him to being susceptible to corruption the same way Arthas was? I-, I think this plays into that. He's condoning it because he doesn't know what else to do. He feels he has to do these things. He's compelled to. And I think that that's the moment that Varian got to have, where Varian understood better about being a king and leading his people thanks to the lens of his son the combined like experiences that he had and like even in that moment like remember when anduin was held captive by a certain dark iron dwarf princess and then and then varian comes in with si7 rex house and instead of killing them has that moment of saying be better you need to be better that was a big growing growing moment for varian I think it, Anduin is still in the throes of that. What do you think, Matt? I mean, you know, the scene that you're talking about shocked Turalyon. Like, he was like, what? Mm-hmm. And it didn't shock Illyria at all. But she was surprised to see it coming from him. Um, I think people just really do not understand just how much pressure Anduin has been under for three expansions now. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes King of Stormwind during a demonic invasion that threatens to destroy the world. Then... His one of the, his stronger allies 
is attacked by the Horde and has their home home base burned to the ground and much of their land stolen. And he has to basically accommodate their people in Stormwind while also continuing to fight another, yet another war. After the war, they were just fighting to perturb their entire planet. Uh, he has to fight another war with the Horde. Um, that when he manages to finally end that war, he's managed to almost permanently alienate one of the stronger members of the Alliance who now don't trust him or think he's going to be able to, or willing to help them when they need it. Uh, and then he finds out that the whole thing has basically been a smokescreen for an old God to come back. So now he has to go deal with that. Then he's grabbed by a chained Valkyr dragged into the sky and pulled to the Shadowlands. Where, after a tumultuous period of being tortured by Sylvanas, and you'll note he was the only one kept off by himself, so they knew something was up with with Anduin from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He gets captured again, and the the uh, jailer decides to use him as a you know an RV drone of destruction as part of his plan to regain the sigils, which he successfully does. And now Anduin is basically you know being is going to be a raid boss. Yeah. That we're going to have to fight. And I don't know what happens at the end of that one. I don't know if he dies or if he's like saved from the jailer. But imagine your state of mind after all that. Uh, I definitely think he was starting to lose the plot uh, in Shadows Rising. But I think this experience is like... I remember I, I was reading a webcomic the other day and there was someone like, you know, you were, on sh- you were on shaky terrain before, but now you just wander directly onto a lava flow. Yeah. And that's what happened you know, Anduin's entire sense of self is going to be monumentally affected. This is not something you just like, oh, phew, thanks, guys. Okay, I'm free now. Let's go stop the jailer. This is, you know, bad. He is going to be messed up for a long time. Uh, does that, I don't know that, that it's going to be resolved. I doubt seriously it's going to be resolved at the end of Shadowlands. Um, but do I know what's, how it's going to be resolved? No, absolutely not. I have no idea. But I definitely do not expect that this is going to be playing out for the next five years at the, at a minimum. There's going to be a lot more of this before it's over. I would agree. But that's going to do us for this episode. And I do want to thank everybody for sending in those questions. And a reminder that Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you can. Uh, We can't do podcasts like this if we don't hit those numbers. Uh, I'd like to get us back up to our normal operational uh, level, which uh, if you go and take a look and see how far we are, uh, anything you contribute is is much appreciated. So thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.